This is Tech Talk with your host, Tom DiOria. Tom will spend the next hour making your life with technology a little easier with explanations of the different aspects of today's technology and how it can benefit your home, small office, or enterprise. Now here's your host, Tom DiOria. Welcome to IMI's Tech Talk. It's the third Sunday of February. It's February 15th, 2015. Hope you all had a great Valentine's Day. We're on at 5 p.m. in the New York hosting area and 3 p.m. in Arizona. And today we're live from our New York offices. We're going to be discussing an interesting show with you, Home Automation, with our guest, Stephanie Bork. I'm Tom DiOria. I'm the CEO of Information Methods Incorporated. And together with our weekly guests, our show will help our listeners, whether a business or home technology user, make better use of all aspects of technology. Just in case you're a first-time listener, in our first segment, Tech Talk provides you the review of last week's most significant events in technology. We start with our increased coverage of New York's technology scene, and we follow this with our industry-wide report, which could contain information on conferences, announcements by vendors, new releases of software or equipment, or new contract opportunities. One or more guests followed us from many aspects of business and industry. And if you wish us to consider a topic for a future show, you can email your suggestions to Tech Talk. That's T-E-C-H-T-A-L-K at imi-us.com. We'll get back to you pretty quickly. Anytime after our show introduction, please give us a call or send an email message with questions on today's topic or anything else we might be able to help you with. You can call 277-KFNX, that's 277-5369. And if you're outside the 602 listening area, call us toll-free at 1-866-536-1100. You can send us email questions. Uh, that email address I just gave you, techtalk at imi-us.com. We monitor that throughout the show. And if we can't get your question on today's show, we'll definitely send you a response and uh, try and get you on next week. So we're also being simulcast on the web, so if you have to listen to us live and you can't get to your radio, you can go to KFNX's website. That's 1100kfnx.com. And if you want to listen to this show again or any of our previous shows, you can go to our website, which is imi-us.com. In the upper right-hand corner is the Tech Talk button. Click on that. It takes you to the archives. All the shows are listed. You can download them, listen to them as many times as you want, send them to your friends free, so please take advantage of that. And please call in any time during the show, and we'll try and get you on as quickly as possible. First segment's our week in review. It's our increased coverage of technology events in New York City and around the world. It's compiled by Dave Brandon, Jose Batista, and Dan Dioria. Okay, we've got a whole bunch of things to tell you about today. Um, city of New York had a field guide to invisible Internet infrastructure of New York. Uh, the Internet can be ubiquitous and invisible at once, but it relies on an elaborate infrastructure sometimes buried just below our feet. Author and artist Ingrid Bergingatun uh, has created a field guide to the visible evidence and reminders of the Internet in New York City's urban landscapes. New York's of New Networks of New York, an Internet Infrastructure Field Guide, is currently on view at the iBeam 2015 Annual Showcase and available to pre-order. Burrington was a 2014 iBeam resident, and the Field Guide is a physical manifestation of seeing networks project. So you might find that uh, pretty interesting. Um, you can uh, go on to the IMR, uh, to the uh, New York City website, which is nyc.gov, or you can go on to the hyperallergic website, which is hyperallergic.com, and check that out. 
Okay, we're doing a review of uh, something from the Case Studio. It's create your own iPhone or Android uh, case. You can put photos on it, your own photos. They have patterns, and they have a designer series of patterns as well. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna take a look at it. We're gonna see how easy it is to create our own. Uh, see how durable they are. See if there are any issues, or and tell you exactly what we think. But uh, according uh, to what they told us, you can express yourself and let your device be your canvas. The custom phone and tablet cases uh, from the Case Studio let you personalize every last detail of your case. Customize and monogram one of theirs. Uh, upload your own photos for a truly unique custom-made phone or tablet. So, again, that's uh, the Case Studio, and uh, that's their uh, website, thecasestudio.com. So we'll get back to you on that as soon as we have an opportunity to take a look at it. And um, for those of you in New York City, uh, the Intrepid Museum is having Kids Week, uh, the week of six days of fun-filled activities, February 16th to the 21st, hands-on engineering workshops, live shows, and much more, all exploring flight. From the science of aviation to sustaining life in outer space, every day offers unique opportunities for discovery. Kids can learn how to grow food in space, create their own telescopes, and master the physics of flight while making a perfect paper airplane. Families can learn about the stars in their pop-up planetarium, watch exciting science demonstrations, or brace for a breathtaking display with live birds of prey. Each day features special guests and award-winning children's book authors, so they're inviting you to come investigate, tinker, play, and imagine a soaring future. And they do have a day-by-day, hour-by-hour agenda of what they're going to do. Just go to uh, their website, and that's the intrepidmuseum.org. Okay. Police union leaders demand Google disable cop-locating Waze app. That's W-A-Z-E. Uh, it's from the Daily News. Sergeant's Benevolent Association head Edward Mullen sent a letter to Google CEO Larry Page demanding the company disable a feature of the mobile app Waze that lets users track real-time locations of police. The Waze app operates like a GPS navigation tool and permits users to note the locations of parked police vehicles, accidents, congested traffic cameras, and cops. Other drivers using the app are then warned on a map. The police icon appears on the map as a cartoonish officer with a mustache wearing a blue hat. When a user clicks on the cop, the lapse time since the icon was posted pops up on the screen. Mullins isn't the first to point out the possible dangers the app presents to cops. The National Association previously pointed out the app could put cops in danger. The trade organization recently criticized Google's software as hampering the use of speed traps. I think that was their purpose. Uh, Google officials didn't return an email or a phone message about that, so uh, I'm not sure they're actually going to react to it, but we'll see. Uh, we're told here that deaths involving smartphones have declined dramatically in three major cities since manufacturers began implementing kill switches that allow the phones to be turned off remotely if they're stolen, authorities told us. The number of stolen iPhones dropped by 40% in San Francisco, 25% in New York, in the 12 months after Apple added the kill switch to its devices in September 2013. In London, smartphone thefts dropped by half 
Johnson, San Francisco District Attorney George Gascon, and New York State Attorney General Eric Schneiderman were among numerous officials arguing for new laws mandating the kill switches. PC Magazine tells us it's hard to imagine the world still turning after you pass away, but the sun will continue to rise and set, the oceans will continue to ebb and flow, and Facebook will still be home to cat videos and politically-fueled arguments. But what about your social media profiles? Unless you've shared your passwords, your family or significant others will likely be locked out of your accounts. Facebook has been grappling with this issue for a number of years, 2009, it allowed people to turn the profiles of deceased users into memorial pages. But Facebook is now adding a new option that users can select prior to death, a legacy contact. Pick your legacy contact wisely, be it a family member or friend. They'll be able to post announcements and messages on your memorialized timeline, responded to a new friend request, and update your profile picture or cover photo. So at least they're addressing it in some way. CNN tells us that the JAS bug is a flaw in the way computers access files in a network. If any hackers knew about this since the year 2000, they could have used it to sneak into a company computer system and take complete control. Let's say you use your laptop and public Wi-Fi to connect to computers at the office. Nearby hackers could spy on you, steal documents, and plant malware. There's no evidence yet that anyone exploited the JAS bug and did this, but it might be too early to tell. Microsoft deemed the severity of it this critical. It even warned an alert from the Department of Homeland Security and similar warnings from major cybersecurity companies. Jazzbug affects everything from Windows Vista to the latest Windows 8.1. This is a kind of problem that will cause pains for system administrators and the company IT folks. Okay, so why did this fix take so long? Jazzbug is a problem with the very design of Microsoft's operating system. The company had to re-engineer core parts of its giant engine and test it extensively to make sure it still worked. So let's see if it still works. And finally, Dell delivers education-focused Chromebook 11 for accident-prone students. This is a little bit more rugged with built-in keyboards than the regular one. It's 11.6 inches uh, display, complete with a 180-degree hinge, can be equipped with a traditional anti-glare panel or touchscreen. It would also last 10 hours, 10 hours on a charge, so you may want to take a look at that. Let's see, it's $249 with 2 gig. Uh, you can opt for 4 gig, and it'll cost you 300 Okay, this is Tom DiOrio. We're going to take a break. It's uh, the day before President's Day, February 15th, 2015. So we're wedged right in between Valentine's Day and President's Day. Um, I am Ice Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. Please stay tuned. We're going to get to our guests and talk to you about home automation. Welcome back to IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. I'm Tom Dioria. It's the 15th of February 2014. Uh, yesterday was Valentine's Day and tomorrow is President's Day. And as I mentioned to you before the break, uh, we're going to be talking today about home automation. And our guest is Stefan Borg, and he is the technological inspiration behind Incognito Software Systems Provisioning Solutions. As CEO, Stefan has built an elite team of dedicated engineers and champion Incognito's development of high-performance, multi-platform IB service enablement solutions. 
Originally from Montreal, Canada, and educated at Concordia University, Stefan applied his computer engineering background at Banyan Systems to design enterprise network management systems for Fortune 11, Fortune 1000 companies like Bell Canada. Stefan, thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Glad to be with you, Tom. So I touched on it briefly in the in the intro, but maybe uh, you can give our audience a little better background of yourself and uh, what Incognito is all about. Certainly, myself personally, I've, I've always had a, uh, a love for hardware since I was about six years old. I decided I would be involved when I grew up in uh, building smarter machines. I don't know what that meant when I was six, and that's a while ago. Uh, but I finally get to, to do what I love uh, the rest of my life, and I started this a while ago when I started Incognito. Uh, Incognito is a company I started in 91, and back then, uh, for those who remember, uh, this was really just the start of the Internet. I mean, we had about 125 sites. Uh, there were browsers called Mosaic and others available, and that was it, really. Uh, there was barely color on a website, a few images, nothing moving, uh, and we, I started the company to build applications to bridge the growing local area networks, basically enterprise networks, and bridge them with internet technology. So let them, let someone on a corporate network access, whether it was email, data, websites, access these sites from a corporate network. Now, these days, nobody would even blink about the idea, and we kind of probably think it's kind of a ridiculous idea. But back then, it was quite revolutionary. Back then, the enterprise was a, the enterprise was a, was a closed network, and access outside the network was not authorized. And it was also impossible because networks back then did not use IP, which is this internet protocol that we're all uh, are all using these days, and we all go to know and love. So the, 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 the company was born to bridge enterprise and the Internet. And when this was completed by year 2000, then we start to tackle the problem, well, we have so many subscribers, now they want to access Internet, not just from the enterprise, but also from home. And now dial-up was common before, and that was ISDN, now you had cable modems, and we partnered with Motorola uh, at the time, and they had just acquired a company uh, that made equipment to provide internet access over coax, over your familiar wiring inside the home. So we partnered with them and we developed a, a solution that would enable people around the world to access internet and to be provisioned. But provision, what we mean is when you call your internet service provider and you subscribe to, let's say, a, a, a silver package or your 10 megabit package or 25 megabit package, this has to be programmed into that cable modem you have at home. And in order to do this, a system needs to be in place between what their billing systems are, what their, what their uh, representatives use to enter in the system. So someone enters your order, says, well, you want 25 megabits, it gets pushed to our system, and we then take that order and program that cable modem and make sure you get 25 megabits. And later on in life, we allow them to monitor the speed, well, to monitor that you still have access. If something happens, we can notify their customer center and say, by the way, something happening to a, is happening to a customer, and please intervene, do something. Maybe someone cut a cable somewhere. There's been a power outage or a piece of equipment uh, has now failed, and someone in an area of the city needs 
prompt access. So therefore, the software was born, and since then we've evolved this into uh, monitoring, for example, how much bandwidth is being used. Uh, how, what can we do to help the providers and the subscribers get really better service, the providers to offer you better service, and the consumer to actually get the service they subscribe to. And that's where Incognito comes from. A pretty thorough background into <laughs> how you basically helped all of us uh, get access to the Internet and how I, I gather uh, major corporations are able to do what they, they can do today. That's uh, a pretty and pretty involved aspect of Incognito. Today we're talking about home automation, and I want to get into that, but uh, maybe you can tell our listeners what your definition of automation is and give us some examples, and then uh, we'll get into some solutions. Certainly. To me, home automation has been a, a, a personal goal of mine for about uh, 15 years, maybe a bit more than, more than that, but <clears throat> home automation is really any way through software you can perform a daily task or enhance your daily life without having to be there to do that task yourself. And by that I mean, uh, we've by now a lot of people have heard about Nest. Well, what does Nest do? Nest provides a, an internet-reachable thermostat. Well, it may sound a little bit benign, but once you start using one, you, you gather why it's so interesting. Now, if you're not home, you can set your temperature you can set your air conditioning to off so you can save some money. And this will gladly send you at the end of the month a nice little reminder. By the way, this month you've saved so much money because you were able to smartly utilize your air conditioning. Uh, it will detect presence in the home automatically, so it will turn on AC when you really need it and wait. And when it senses there's nobody in the home, turn it off again. So again, we all have these very smart thermostats that we try to put up, but they need programming, they need attention, we need to read the user manual, and let's face it, who's read a user manual in the last 10 years? We can find a PDF somewhere, we look at page two, and ah, we know how to do this, I'll figure the rest out. Well, people at Nest have understood that people never read the manual, therefore they sort of put a lot more smarts into these devices and let you manage and monitor the device remotely. So that's just one small aspect. There's other aspects, such as, for example, turn on, turning on lights automatically, or, or in a case you hear noise in the back, well, you can just turn off all the backyard lights right away and say, hey, hold on here, what's happening? Uh, you know, if your wife is home alone at night and I, I travel a lot, uh, I've arranged so the lights in the background can, turn beyond, can be turned on automatically if she presses a button. Well, if she hears a noise back there, she can just press a button, Turns, turns everything on and says, okay, well, there's a coyote there, there's a raccoon, or there's something worse than that. And if there's something worse than that, press the other button, can call the police. So it's, it's all these little things, turning on the lights, for example, uh, at sunset and turning them on at sunrise, so you sort of provide some kind of occupancy or the back porch or the front porch light, for example. So these are other tasks, uh, things like having a, a leak sensor. So if you're hot water tank starts leaking, you don't want to know if you're on vacation that when you come back, the entire house is flooded. You want to know right away, this should warn under your alarm system or warn you personally through an SMS message, through an email, if bother something is wrong, and call your dad, call your sister, call your brother, your neighbor, hey, go in my basement, turn off the water, something has happened to my hot water tank. So all these are different tasks, you know, that you can start to automate, you can start to look at and do smartly without 
that need to be there. And also, in the end, you can save a lot of energy and a lot of time, a lot of uh, a lot of pain. Those are things that have been evolving, and I'd like to talk to you. We have to take a break, but I'd like to talk to you about that and also talk about security and the new stuff we saw at CES uh, this year with appliances and then uh, another thing about Nest with their fire alarms, CO2 alarms. But we have to take a break. This is IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. I'm Tom DiOria. We're talking to Stefan Bork about home automation on the 15th of February, 2015. Please stay tuned. We're going to be right back after these messages. Welcome back to IMI Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. I'm Tom Dioria. It's the 15th of February, 2015. Tomorrow is President's Day, so I hope you're all out there celebrating. And uh, we're lucky enough to have uh, Stefan Borg talk to us about home automation. And before the break, uh, Stefan was giving us examples of a definition of, of security he was talking about Nest, which has an intelligent thermostat. And they also have intelligent CO2 and fire detectors that when you were mentioning how simple it is to start these things and get them connected to the Internet in your network, I haven't got the thermostat, but I have one of these smoke and fire detectors because it's in a shed a little farther up on my property, and I wanted to have some kind of thing without wiring it to my home system. And it's very simple. There are lights on it to tell you different things, and and it, and it communicates. Uh and you also touched on a little bit about, uh, you know, security, remote access to, to things like lights and, and security systems. Um, what's your feeling about automated appliances? We saw a bunch of them um, at CES this year. Do you think that's something that's going to catch on and, and fall into this category in the future? I think we'll see more. I think there's, you know, there's, there's debatable ideas, right? Do I really need to do my my, my toaster is ready or not? Uh, the fridge is maybe something different where you can monitor the energy or maybe a door jar, for example. Uh, I think my stove on. Uh, those things, I mean, provide uh, security. Uh, if they're perishable food, I mean, those definitely have some application. Uh, again, why would I put Wi-Fi on my blender? I mean, it sounds ridiculous, and it probably is. Uh, but, <laughs> but you might uh, want it on your washing machine to tell you when your wash is done. Well, you know, and that's one thing. If it, if it can send me an email when it's done, I would appreciate it. I hate walking down the stairs or going to the laundry room and say, get there, and it's still, you know, 17 minutes. You know, right. <laughs> if there's the, it's it's wobbly because of bad load in there or something like that, I'd like to know ahead of time. And that, that I can see why this would be... Uh, would be interesting and provide some value. I mean, it also depends how easy is it to enable this functionality on, the, on all these devices. And, and right now, that's usually the debate with all these devices. I mean, Nest has found a rather easy way to do it, but is anyone or everyone going to find such an easy way to get that device on the Internet? I mean, and all of, everybody's looking at Wi-Fi, and fair enough, Wi-Fi is an easier way, but then you have to provide your Wi-Fi ID, your Wi-Fi password, uh, you know, it's not an easy process. If I look at, I always look at my, could my father do this, do this on his own without calling me? A good test. 
and that's the, you know, the my, my my father's test. He's he's a, he's a very smart guy. He's seventy eight, but if he can do it on his own, then I'm okay. If he needs to call me three times and give up, <laughs> then there's a problem. Right. So I, right. I think that the jury is still as to how useful some of these things will be, but I, I can see definitely some value. Especially when so let's, about, you know, so let's say we all move in this direction. We start automating our home. Isn't this going to have uh, an impact on the broadband networks, especially in the residential areas, uh, in terms of you know overloads and traffic and the whole thing, trouble troubleshooting? I mean, you mentioned a good thing. I mean, even if your father, after the third try, gets it installed, and then is he going to be able to troubleshoot it if there's a problem? But I guess that's two questions. Let's talk about the overload of the networks. I mean, isn't that going to happen? There's definitely potential for this. I mean, what we've seen over the internet over the past few years is video is king. It used to be uh, email. It used to be then peer-to-peer networking. Then it came to be social networking. And now video is responsible for about 70% of every single data packet on the internet, clearly outpacing any web browsing, social networking, anything else out there. And we just see this growing and growing and growing. So what's going to happen with home automation? Well, there's certain things in home automation that are not very network intensive. Nest, for example, sensitive packets, receive packets every minutes, every few minutes, no big deal. Once you talk, talk about, let's say, surveillance, where you try to monitor your home remotely with cameras, now we're doing video, and video is really the big network hog. So it will have an impact. Uh, it all depends on what we're monitoring and what the, the frequency of monitoring is. We're talking about also, let's say, e-health these days. So patients going back home, being monitored remotely uh, through uh, cardiac, for cardiac machine or cardiograms, whatnot, and reporting back centrally. So there's there's starting to be a lot of traffic going up and down this network pipe called the internet, going through your house, and it's it's currently constraining a lot of providers where they're thinking, well, can we provide adequate bandwidth for, you know, two years down the road, three years down the road, five years down the road? And it's, it's a concern right now, yes. So it's a good thing and a bad thing uh, at, the, at the same time. We've heard about a network protocol called TR069. Yes, sir. Um, tell us a little bit about that, how that applies to what we've been discussing. One of the big problems and in, in, in why, let's say, home automation has been a little slow to get up the front, to get up here, and while all these appliances, although they could get on the internet, have kind of slow to get on, is how do I, let's say I'm a provider, let's say I'm a, the Verizons, the Comcast, or Coxes of the world, and, and I'm trying to provide you internet access. Well, you buy this new fridge, and you plug it in, and it's supposed to go on the internet. And if it doesn't go on the internet, who are you going to call first? Are you going to call you know, Frigidaire or or, uh, or Samsung, or are you going to call your internet provider? You're going to call your internet provider, and they're going to say, well, Mr. Smith, we're really terribly sorry, but we don't know how your fridge works, so you're pretty much out of luck. So there's a problem here where the devices at the home cannot be monitored and managed by the dev- by your internet service provider. So here comes a protocol called TR069. And if that protocol can be embedded in all these new devices, it would give your Coxes and Verizons of the world a chance at least to remotely go into this device, monitor or look at its network access, 
configured remotely for you, and then say, see, Mr. Smith, now we've corrected, we plug in your, your the parameters for your new refrigerator here. Now we can see it's reporting and statistics remotely. Have a pleasant day. But this will be impossible until we get to a protocol standard between all devices out there, like a TR-069, that will let a third party come in and do it, do it in a, uh, a standard way. You know, right now, everyone has their own little different screen, little, little ways to manage, monitor, and configure something. Whereas this new protocol says, hey, if you want to configure something a certain way, this is how you do it. So now all the practical could adopt that protocol and make it a lot easier for someone to remotely troubleshoot and help you. So do you think that's practical? Is it something that, you know, is a year away, 10 years away? I think we're still several years away. I mean, what we're seeing is we... Here at Incarnate, we do build an application that lets you manage all these devices that do this TR-069 protocol. We can do this today. However, manufacturers don't see the push coming from the industry and consumers to say, look, let me manage my own device. You know, I don't want to have, I mean, currently, people like me that do a bit of a home automation will have one portal for my lights, one portal for my nest one portal for my home security, one portal for my home monitoring. So I'm looking to four portals already. I'm kind of tired. I'd, lo- I'd love to go to one portal page and say, okay, here's where everything is. And if I buy a new fridge, my fridge just pops up as an icon, and look, my fridge is now part of my whole home portal I get remotely. That's possible through something like TR-69. Now, we'll need to, as a community, as, uh, as users and vendors out there, to start pushing these vendors to put this into their appliances and put this the devices they want to be connected in this this whole internet of things out there. If they start doing this, then we have a chance at winning. Okay, we're going to take a break. We're going to continue to pursue uh, home automation with Stefan Bork. Uh, it's Sunday, the fifteenth of February, two thousand and fifteen. I'm Tom Dioria. This is IMI's Tech Talk. On KFNX AM 1100. We're going to be right back after these messages, so please stay tuned. Welcome back to IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. I'm Tom Dioria. It's the 15th of February 2015. We're talking today about home automation with our guest, Stefan Borg, uh, who is the CEO of Incognito. And uh, before I pers- continue to go on this TR-069 you were telling us before the break, uh, you did uh, describe Incognito in a little detail, but if our listeners want to follow up with you, what's the website and how do they get to you? Certainly. You can come to www.incognito.com, and we offer all this software that these providers can use to actually manage these devices remotely. Okay, so let's pursue that a little bit, and maybe you can tell our listeners the tools and services Incognito provides to help us handle all this? So what we provide the tools all for the uh, <clears throat> for the ISPs, basically, so your Cox browser and so on. So what they'll do, they'll buy software from us, and that software will allow their CSRs to log in and help you manage your home network, manage your firewall, manage your uh, Wi-Fi, for example. How many, how many times have you lost your Wi-Fi password or... Your son got none of your wife, and they say, oh, my God, what's the Wi-Fi password? I've changed it. I changed it last week, and I lost it. 
Well, all the software now, they can call in their provider and using our software, they can say, oh, by the way, let me reconfigure this for you easily without having to remember, well, how do I do this on my Netgear or my D-Link on my uh, Linksys over here? There's, there's a central and easy way to do centrally that your provider can assist you with. And if you change the configuration on that box, let's say you're installing uh, some kind of gaming and you need to access some, uh, you need to use a firewall on your, on your home gateway, well, then it can remember that configuration. And if you change it, it could push back your configuration to your firewall so you could still use your security, your uh, gaming boxes, and so on and so forth. So we write all the software for these companies to let them assist you in providing what's called a, a better user experience, right? Make, make your life easier. I mean, why should you know how to configure a firewall on a Linksys model such and such? You don't need to do this. You should to go to your, your Cox portal, your Verizon portal, go there and say, oh, I want to configure my home gateway this way, this way and it's done automatically for you, and this configuration is backed up, so in case the device breaks down or you make a mistake, you can go back to your old configuration and say, oh, now it works again. So with all this software, we also write software that assists the providers in helping determine where bandwidth is running out on their network. I mean, we talked about guaranteeing that you have the proper bandwidth to do what you want. So it's IP surveillance, it's monitoring your nest, it's monitoring your lights or turning on your lights and so on. That requires bandwidth. And with the tools we provide these providers, what they can do is they can see, okay, in a certain area of town, we are running a bandwidth. So therefore, we must deploy additional equipment to provide more bandwidth so that all of our end users can actually see the Netflix and also look at their nest and also look at their IP cameras and also do the file sharing they need and so on. So that we provide them with, sort of, with a platform that lets them look at their whole network, assist you in making sure you get the proper services, build the portals that gives you access to your own devices and services, and guarantee that you have the proper bandwidth to do what you really want to do. The last thing you want is buy something, plug it in, have difficulty plugging it in, and once it's plugged in, it kind of works a little clunky because there's not enough bandwidth to support to do what you want to do. If you buy an IP camera and you can get, you know, one frame every 12 seconds, well, 12 seconds is a long time for a robber to break in, break in the back of your house and do something. So at least with this, you can get you have the proper bandwidth all the time. So when you buy this IP camera, you do 30 frames per second. You can see who is around the property. <clears throat> you can see that everything is safe. You can turn on the lights, monitor your thermostat, shut down the blinds, bring them up, whatever you prefer. Make sure no one is using your pool when you're not there and they're not supposed to be using your pool. Uh, all different things that we, we all aspire to uh, but all require bandwidth and some assistance from your provider. So how practical is that in terms of, you know, putting the bandwidth where it's needed, I don't want to say at the drop of a hat, but, you know, monitoring where it's being used and and throttling it up and down. I mean, is that a practical near-term solution? Happen- mm-hmm. What's happening is historically uh, providers have had to somewhat guess what would happen to their networks. 
And some do a good job at it. Some do, uh, well, a less than adequate job at it. And therefore, as they might be performing network upgrades, they might be performing upgrades that in the wrong area of town at the wrong time of year. So what our software does, it lets them gather historical data. And by trending analysis, what we can do is predict, well, in six months, you'll be out of bandwidth, you know, in the south part of town. You'll be out of bandwidth in that state. But over here, you know, in the center of town, you're fine for the next two years. So it lets them target their upgrades properly. So all these providers, you know, usually complain, well, it's expensive to upgrade the network, it's more cost, and, of course, they want to charge you more money. Well, if they can just spend enough at the right time, then they will save money, and therefore you will save money. So before we arrived here, there was not really any tools that could let them do this reliably and safely, at least predict the future. And what we've done through analytics, we can look at the exact network six months back, look at the, the uptake in Netflix, for example, because Netflix is a very big consumer of data, and say, well, if your Netflix uptake was about 2% a month and you have 27,000 subscribers in this part of town, what does that mean for your bandwidth in six months from now? Aha, it's all going to turn red. We're going to run a bandwidth. Okay, well, let's plan on upgrading this in the next two, three months so we don't run a bandwidth. So it become, it's becoming more and more uh, needed, especially because of all this video. And the providers are very receptive into tools that keep their customers happy. And, I mean, they want you to be happy. They want you to pay their bills. So if we provide these tools to keep you happy, keep them happy, it's a win-win for all. Now they're using these tools now? More and more they're using these tools. Uh, as the costs to upgrade networks are going up drastically, as they're realizing that sometimes these network upgrades take longer than they planned, uh, there are more and more, we're seeing more and more demand for these tools. Not necessarily to, to, to bandwidth shape or traffic shape, what we call it, you know, customer use. So therefore, we don't want to say we're going to lower uh, Mrs. Smith and, uh, and Mr. Burns over there down to 10% we're supposed to use because they're big bandwidth users, but to say, look, if everyone's using as much bandwidth as they're supposed to, how much do we really need? So it's more in order to plan ahead and see what they need rather than penalize uh, customers because they're using too much. Stefan, we have about one minute left. Any last uh, thoughts for our listeners? I think this is a great time for home automation. I mean, the, the providers are getting ready for it. Uh, the, the device manufacturers realize that this is important. I think, you know, we all want to be greener and greener and greener. And one way is through our home automation uh, by turning off lights we don't use, by turning off AC or heating when we don't work, we're not there. And everyone is getting the same bandwagon. Now we just have to find a way to be able to centrally manage all this. And once we do that, uh, then Bob's your uncle. Then we can all deploy it easily. And I think we're going to see start to see more and more homes built with home automation in mind or straight into the home itself so that we don't need it's no longer an afterthought. Stefan, thanks for taking the time to be with us. It's a really interesting uh, topic, and uh, maybe in a little while we'll have you back and you can give us an update. Sounds great, Tom. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, I want to thank Terry Ruggiero, IMI's President, Dave Brandon, Dan Dioria, and Jose Batista for the Week in Review. 
Taylor Reddens, our producer, Matt Campagni, is our executive producer, and without Robert Bomback in the KFNX AM 1100 production department, not a word would you hear. Thanks again for listening, and please don't forget to tune into Tech Talk next week at 5 p.m. in New York on KFNX AM 1100. Remember to send us your suggestions for future shows or ask us questions by sending an email to techtalk at imi-us.com. Have a great week. Have a good President's Day. And thanks again for listening.